Welcome to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. My name is Risha York, and I will be your host. If you are overworked, overtired, overstretched, overwhelmed, just over it, you are in the right place. We like to say we are currently working towards Zen-ish. I'm thrilled that you've joined us. Let's see who will be supporting us on our path to Zen today. Hello and welcome back to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. Our guest today is Yvonne Heath, and I am so excited to have her here today. I'm going to let her introduce herself. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you kindly, my dear friend. And it's funny because I usually listen to my intro and go, oh my God, did I really do all that? So I'm going to try to <laughs> say what I hear. And it's it's been an amazing journey. And it started, of course, with a 27-year nursing career where I worked in the United States, Canada, in every department, including eMERGE, chemotherapy, hospice, ICU, I mean, all of it. And I realized, well, I didn't realize in my career, but I, I realized that we are ill-prepared as a society for grief, transitions, end of life, we don't normalize these conversations and we suffer excessively because of it. And I suffered excessively in my career. So in 2015, I took a leap of faith, left my nursing career to blaze a new trail. I founded Love Your Life to Death. I wrote a book called Love Your Life to Death. None of that was ever on my vision board, P.S. Right. And, and then I founded the I Just Showed Up movement, where we teach people of all ages how to become more resilient and empowered so they can just show up for themselves and each other when grief and life challenges arrive. So it's been an extraordinary journey. We are very passionate about supporting the supporters, those caring for others, teaching others, and just really all of those who are in service. And I always share that in 2019, I delivered my TEDx talk. Hmm, do you know anything about that, Risha? I do. Uh, <laughs> transforming our grief by just showing up. And so it's been an extraordinary journey. Um, I, again, leaving my nursing career to do all of these things is never anything I envisioned. I am just, you know, my flawed, goofy self, usually found at home in socks and sandals and big baggy track pants and in the garden or with our twins and all of our pets and my wonderful husband, Jordy. So, so and fun. here in Muskoka. So yes, that is a, a, a reader's digest glimpse of my, my 58 year journey. Cause that's wow. how long I've been here. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and so, like you said, you didn't start in this career you're doing now, you started in nursing. Can you tell us what brought you to this current career? Oh, absolutely. Two words, excessive suffering. <laughs> sure, fair. Excessive suffering, which it's interesting because I, I, in reflecting back on that, realized that I did suffer excessively throughout my life, as many of us do as kids, as teenagers, trying to fit in, 
yep. trying to be what we weren't, not being our authentic selves. And, and I also, I said, I could probably be the poster adult for ADHD. So, <laughs> you know, back when I went to school, ADHD wasn't a thing. I just, I just was one of those annoying kids who didn't sit still. Right. And, and, and didn't focus as if I chose to do that. And then I became a parent. And, you know, as many of us know, we are experts at parenting until we become one. Right. Of course. <laughs> it's just an all consuming thing. And I got married and then realized I married an alcoholic and or someone who not enough, someone who had a problem with alcohol. I would say person first, no matter what. Sure. Yeah. And so, so from there, you know, I mean, I was a traveling, I had become a nurse. I didn't know what else to do. I was traveling. I called my mom saying, you might as well accept that I'll never live where there's snow again. Um, okay. Well then I got divorced <laughs> and came crawling home to Huntsville, Ontario, <laughs> where there's lots of snow with my two and a half year old. And, you know, it was just such a dark time in my life. Sure. The hospital wasn't hiring, so I couldn't get a job as a nurse. I was a, now a single parent. I was living in my parents' basement at 31. I said, no one, right? That is that that is not any anything anyone wishes for at 31. Right. And I just thought, wow, what happened to my life? And you know, in in reflecting back to that, it's a beautiful story because you never know what awaits on the other side of grief. Hundred percent. Yep. So moving forward. I got hired at the hospital. I and then I did, you know, a little innocent flirting with this cute paramedic who PS was much younger than me. So it was never going to go anywhere. We were just having fun. Yeah. Well, in September, we will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. Amazing. Right. Had twins at 40. And, you know, I was working at the hospital and, and life was good until it wasn't again. Right. And then he and Jordy also adopted my son Tyler which was like you know as a mom that's just everything yeah. you wish for this amazing man and then when Tyler was 16 he faced he had I mean he he faced a lot of grief and trauma in his life and then at 16 he had a snowboarding injury where he wrecked his knee and and that crushed his snowboarding he wanted to be a pro snowboarder he had right. just got his license and so he went down a very dangerous road of drugs and addiction. Right. Now you think, you know, in those dark times, like when I was a 31 as a single mom, I could have never envisioned having twins and finding the love of my life and all these great things and having a job. And then again, here at this time where this child, my child was slipping through my fingers. And it was like in that moment, two things happened. I thought I could outlive my child. And I couldn't even write, I couldn't even say those words because I thought, I don't think I would survive that. Like, I don't think I would survive that. Like, right. I just remember thinking that. And now I have two other children. Yeah. So, so if I didn't survive or, you know, we all know people. What are the repercussions? Well, and, and, and we all know people who are living they have a pulse, but they are not living because yeah. they're so consumed with their grief. Yeah. So I kind of felt like I hit emotional rock bottom. I could not control what my child was doing and I was doing everything I could. Yeah. And the second thing was the big epiphany aha moment that led to this new path 
I was in healthcare. My husband is a paramedic. We had great friends. And in this darkest time of mine, some people were there for me while many avoided me. Right. Many wouldn't ask the question. People, I pretended I, I was fine when I wasn't. I think yeah. everyone can relate to that. Yeah. And right. And and people were like ants when I walked in. They just like scattered because they, yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. They're going it's to heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. And people want people want to fix things. And when they can't, right? They avoid. They avoid. Yeah. And I will tell you right now, and this isn't, there's no blame, there's no shame, there's learning, unlearning, and evolving. Yeah. I realized in that moment, I was like, oh wow, I realize when people don't know what to do, they don't know what to say, they are compassionate. They're just so terrified to make it worse. Yeah. And so I went to work, I was surrounded by healthcare professionals. And I just said, like, are we healthcare professionals well prepared for grief, death, dying transitions? And everyone's like, oh, God, no, we're terrible at it. No. And, and, and off they went. And so in that darkest time, again, I said, you know what? I have a choice here. I can continue to suffer excessively and ignore the elephant in the room. Yeah. The elephant is always in the room. Or I could empower myself and figure out how to do this differently. Yeah. Right? Like, and it not it incredible in those darkest times and those times of struggle? So first of all, we always have a choice. We have a choice to stay there or learn, unlearn, and evolve and find supportive people and, and be yeah. the change in our lives or stay there and suffer excessively because we will be supported in our, oh, you know, yeah. poor thing, this happened, it's so hard. And so that was just the catalyst that catapulted me on this new journey of doing things differently. Yeah. That's so interesting. All my aunts are nurses. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, no, I did not. No. <laughs> and it's it's amazing to watch them negotiate these end of life moments. Cuz they're faced with it every day at work. Every single day, right? Absolutely. And, and then also hear them talk about others in the profession. Like, oh, you know, if you're a surgeon, you just got to turn it all off. Otherwise you can't focus. And I'm like, how really? Gosh, <laughs> as someone who's extremely empathetic, I would, I don't think I could do that. I can't turn that off. Well, there's a, there's so many problems and that's what we do, right? We build our armor, yeah. right? I can't, I can't feel too much for this patient, this family in this tragedy, because then I will suffer excessively. And I will tell you right now, I, we've all done that. And the absolute opposite is true. The opposite right. is true. And as an empath, we also need to, so we have to double down on our skills and our learning to be able to give, give, give. And, you know, we talk a lot about compassion fatigue and I say like, here's the problem with, with how it's about reframing. There's a lot of reframing. Of course, there's always more to do and more to give than we can. Yeah. And so if we can with healthy boundaries, which are very simply in this moment, what am I able to do? And what am I not able to do in this moment? Because that changes all the time. Yeah. 
Like tomorrow I could be able to say, you know what? I've got this going on. I've got everything. I've got surplus. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I'm like Zen plus. And today I'm like, oh, I got to fill my bucket because I am. Not I'm today. Yeah. Yeah. So if we hard. learn to check in and the problem with that armor, you think, oh, I can't give too much because then I'm going to run out and I will burn out compassion fatigue. However, you're also blocking the good stuff right receiving and we celebrate right we've normalized a lot of the wrong things in our society oh he's so amazing she's so amazing she gives 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 and puts herself last and I say oh wow I'm so sorry to hear that what can you do to change that yeah let's celebrate the give and receiving right we I said we have to get good at the get yeah get clear about what you can and can't do right now get help get authentic, get real check, get checking in. Yeah. Cause how so often have you receive. met someone? How often have you met someone that struggles to receive a gift or time or anything really? Right. You compliment. say a compliment, mm -hmm. right. And you're having this conversation with, Oh, not me. Oh, not for me. Oh, you don't have to, Oh, don't go to all that trouble. And it's, it's, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to be humble, but at the same time, at what point do you let people in to help? What, at what we point normalize that though, right? We celebrate the person in, and I'm going to say in the past, in the yeah. past, we've celebrated the person that's just giving, giving and doesn't require anything. And it's okay. I don't want to burden anyone, but they're there for everyone. And they're like yeah. dragging themselves along. We have celebrated the martyr. We have given gold stars for that. And I say it's time for change because when we talk about mental health issues, well, what do we expect? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what that's compassion burnout is if you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and never actually getting anything for yourself or allowing yourself to receive. And allowing yourself to receive having healthy boundaries. And uh, I mean, there's just so many big pieces. Yeah. Um, as a society, we are very reactive, not proactive, right? We wait till we're in crisis and then we try to navigate through. So what if um, before, right? And that's my whole thing. And it's funny because people say, oh, Yvonne, she's, she talks about grief. She's a death expert and all these things that people call me death diva, death, whatever. <laughs> and, and what I say, I am a proactive living consultant. Let's, let's say I'm a PLC. And that's weird for people. Cause I said, like, when I started this, I said, well, we need to talk about plan and prepare before we need to build a foundation. We yeah. need to have coping skills, strategies. And the number one thing we need to do is that solid concrete foundation. What do we believe about life and death? Right. Where do we talk about that throughout life? We do not No. If we want to remove the excessive suffering that is where we need to start. What do you believe about life and death? So like when you say the people who are present and people are dying, you will avoid that compassion, fatigue, burnout. If you understand and accept, you don't have to like it. Elephant in the room. We do not all die of old age and we do not always get a warning. And that is very right. That is so hard for us to accept. We do not always know what's going on inside someone. Of course, yeah. Mentally, physically, or emotionally. Oh my gosh, like this happened. Like this person died by suicide and they seem so happy. And we, we're, oh my gosh, 
or Joe just died of a heart attack. I mean, he jogged five kilometers a day. What, like what happened? Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason. And, and the, and the suffering also, so that belief about life and death and not getting consumed by the why, right? Why did this happen? I, when I worked in chemotherapy in particular for over 15 years, I used to drag myself out. I'm sure. I, and like, you know, and I was funny and Patch Adams is my hero and I dressed silly and I was compassionate and I, all these fun things. And I did not have that, that really belief about life and death that created a soft landing for myself. I did not have coping skills and strategies. I wanted to fix it. I couldn't understand why. And regardless of how you're showing up at work, regardless of how you're there, you know, all patch Adams, clowny, whatever that, that can be a mask for everything else. Right. And so you can compartmentalize and put all those things on hold and show up as your best self, which I always find very entertaining, and then come home and be a slug because you are now processing. And it's kind of about numbing, or (laughs) numbing, right? And then now, how do you find that balance? So where do you, where do you find that ability to show up in your workspace as you all the time, authentically, and if it's a bad day, giving yourself permission to feel the ways of that. So I'm going to go back to the the balance thing. I I would say that balance is a complete illusion, just <laughs> like control. Like to to think that we're going to have balance is, I believe, is unrealistic. Because here's the thing: like there are times when a student is doing exams in university. Mm-hmm. They are just, they're cramming, they're crunching. This is go time. When you are giving birth, (laughs) there's no balance in that. (laughs) Yeah, no. But you know what I mean? Like there, but, but the, to, to, to feel like, yes, to me, if we can allow the, and understand that grief and joy can coexist, number one. Grief and joy can coexist. And to me, it's, it's kind of like a roller coaster. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm riding the wave. I'm doing great. And, and, and then I, Oh, I just had a spell. Yeah. And to be able to acknowledge and allow our hard feelings along the way. Here's a, here's an, and you know what I, I, my three H's, I said, live by these heart humor and humanness. I laugh at myself all the time. I am very flawed and perfect. So our older son is 29. Our twins, Jade, so Tyler's 29. Our twins are Jaden and Tanner, 18, they are going to university in June. They are going to camp or in September, they're going to camp in June. I went, by the time they leave, I will have had kids, children at home for 30 years. Right. There's tremendous grief or tremendous joy in thinking, oh my God, like I, Jordy and I already said, like, we are going to eat cheese and crackers and nachos and salsa for dinners. <laughs> I'm never making another meal ever. Like I just, I, I don't want to, <laughs> however, the grief that I understand, and I, I'm so, even in good transitions, this is a yeah. wonderful transition. I'm so excited for them. And my heart is like exploding with grief, joy. It's I'm a mess. Yes. Yesterday we're I sitting get on the couch. We're talking about things. And for me, it's like when it's April, oh, now we're like so close, right? Yeah. Whoa. 
And I'm sitting there and we're just having a nice conversation. All of a sudden I said to them, you know, the veil of control is like the veil is very thin. Like you could say one word to me, you could say the word April and the tears are going to flow. I'm just yeah. warning, warning, warning. And they're like, I know mom. And I've already apologized for how I'm going to be their grad. Like I'm going to be a hot mess. <laughs> and suddenly they said the word April and tears were like, just like pouring out of my face. Yeah. And I was laughing at myself and I was crying and my son's videoing me. He's like, this is a good mom. Oh, and they're hysterical and I'm yeah. crying my eyes out. And I'm like, I'm going to miss you. And I'm so happy. And I'm like, yeah. Imagine if we all allowed, acknowledged and allowed our good feelings, our hard feelings, all the messiness. And again, you know, back to that balance. I know like right now we have two and a half months to do so many things that I have <laughs> to take moments, right? To go, okay. I mean, you know, like doctor's appointments and dentists and glasses and all these things and scholarships sure, and, yeah. and like it's get prepped and it's times two. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I share that because I'm so grateful to realize that, you know, emotions are emotions are a roller coaster. Sometimes we're coasting and it's wonderful. And sometimes we do feel more Zen than other times and very balanced. Yeah. The thing when I'm falling apart that where I can get back to that place. And, you know, we talk about the breath and we talk about pausing and we we've really undervalued that mm. because when I'm doing this, if I can sit outside and just give myself a moment to just slow down the pace. If you say, I don't have time. I say, well, what can you do to change that? Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't accept that because two minutes of total stillness of listening to some music, whatever works for you, nature. Yeah. Calms the, the nervous system. Yeah. Right. And, and can get you back even in, in the chaotic times. Yeah. Your parasympathetic nervous system, right? Like just bringing it back to reset. Absolutely. And so, so when we talk about, you said just showing up and, you know, that's my movement, the, I just showed up movement. And that's what my TEDx talk was. I talked about when we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say. The magic answer is just show up, just show up. You do not need a PhD yeah. to support, to love. Your, it, your job is not there to fix it or to change the outcome. And so, so when you say, how do you just show up? You know, if someone is in grieving or in crisis, I know that I can love and support them. And I know my job is not to judge, fix. This is their journey, right? This is their journey. I don't know why. And I will tell you that relieving suffering or being able to just show up for someone maybe just relieving their suffering a little bit, you get so much oh, yeah. more back. So yeah. all those people with the armor are missing that part yeah. by thinking they're protecting themselves. And it's yeah. so sad. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So, so your new movement, you've moved now from nursing into this amazing, what do you call it again? Tell me the title. Well, I like, so it's interesting because there's, there's like little pieces. So the love your life to death to me is, is, um, sort of the umbrella of, I want to, I've connected with beautiful, amazing people from around the world. I share resources so that we can all learn how to just show up for ourselves and each other. And my book 
in my book, I shared stories, people ages 11 to 101, and it was life-changing for me. Yeah. And, and so I took all of that and the, I just showed up movement is for people of all ages. I want to bring it to every school. Yeah. Right? Like imagine if every student, teacher, healthcare professional had their, I just showed up bracelet, which reminds you that you need, it's non-negotiable to just show up for yourself first. Right. And, and, you know, we talk about self-care and I say to people, here's the thing. I just did a training in New York region with some amazing social workers and community paramedics and other paramedics. It was amazing. And I said, I'm not going to sit here and tell people that they need to eat well, drink well, you know, check in with their stress level, um, get fresh air and movement. If you're not doing any of that, I mean, that's just your, that's just your the bare gas man. in your car. Yeah. <laughs> if we are going to be of service in a, in any capacity, if we are going to, you know, even in your family, you're going to have children, whatever you may be doing, it is non-negotiable to, it's like I said, double dip on those, that self-care at a different level where you become proactive, where you're having those hard conversations, talk about plan and prepare for grief, transitions, end of life, long before it arrives and diffuse the fear, ongoing, learning, unlearning and evolving. And I say to everyone, how do we get good at anything? How do you get good at something? Practice, right? You practice. Yeah. You practice. What do we do when it comes to the hardest conversations and the most challenging part of this journey we call life? Yeah. We avoid. (laughs) We avoid. And then we wonder. Why why is this so hard? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh, my God. Yeah. And and we're so afraid to get it wrong. And I say, here, let me just let you off the hook. You're going to get it wrong. <laughs> oh, of course. It's so jo- funny. The joke I made to my mother, like two weeks before she died, actually, was she was like, okay, I need you to do this and that and this and that. And then I was like, okay, look, we're not going to get everything right. So don't you. haunt me. And she went, what? Are you seriously worried about that? I'm like, uh, have you met you? If you anyone can come back from the death to tell me what to do and give me shit, it's going to be yeah. you. Yeah. And she was like, well, if you're worried about that, that's your problem. I just laughed. I was like, no, you laughed. <laughs> it's all of our problems. But you laughed in that hard conversation. And isn't that so extraordinary? So when you're yeah. thinking back and now I'm smiling, thinking of that conversation, because you can have that banter and that silliness and those real conversations. And you can tell people, you know, I'm worried that you're kind of going to haunt me and, and, and laugh and allow the tears and allow the laughter, allow all of it. So just so you know, I know you have been through so much tremendous grief and, and you see, I'm just going to just let you. (laughs) So I am mandated to make at least one person cry a day. So I cry like 10 times a day. So good for you. Pretty par for the course in my house. I actually, another funny story is I very recently did a keynote for a group of teachers. Nice. And teachers set me off because my mother was a teacher. So it's, it's high emotion stepping in the room. And every time I'm like, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and you silly woman, of course you are. I know. Of course I am. Um, 
because I cry at everything. So the first chat I ever did for them was actually in the middle of COVID and it was a remote keynote. And I cried at the beginning because I was like, you guys are amazing. I don't know how you guys are even handling this. This is intense. No one's ever asked you to do anything like this before. And it's awful. I I just want you to know I see you. I can't imagine what you're dealing with. Right? So then, of course, they invite me back. I leave that keynote being like, oh, God. Like, oh, God. I really that. that. <laughs> like, oh, bring the crier in. Yeah. Um, so I leave that keynote being like, gee, I wonder how that went. And then last year, they brought me in to do a group facilitation. And that so was what does great. that tell you? Yeah. I mean, I'm always showing up as authentically me. I'm never going to pretend to be in a space or, you know, uh, toe a line or that's not who I am as a human being. And so, you know, the facilitation of the group thing went amazing. And then they called me about this keynote and I was like, great, I'm so excited. And I'm like talking to myself on the way there, like, okay, Risha, I mean, it's all cute that you cried the first time, but maybe like this time we don't like just, yeah. you know, and I get in front of them and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> every time. And I was like, it's you guys, you do it to me. I really your fault. feel so heavily for teachers. Right. Oh. And afterwards it was amazing because, you know, I also teach people how to create a crowd when you're speaking to someone, how to create unity in the crowd so that they're listening and they're Beautiful. present with you. Right. It's part of my job. Mm. And in that moment, though, it wasn't what I had intended. It was yeah. so authentic. It unified the room. Beautiful. And then afterwards, people came up to me and they were like, I'm a crier too. I was yeah. so nice to see you just like be so you. Changing Which I really appreciate. It was so nice to hear that, especially because, you know, I come from my prior background was in a corporate world and that is not acceptable there. And that's what I want to change. Let me tell you. Same here. And I had a great conversation with someone yesterday who's going to be on a future podcast. I can't wait to share that. She's a director in a corporate level company. And we both talked about how specifically that's not fair for anyone but predominantly women it's women are so in touch with their emotions and so empathetic as just a societal upbringing and then we put them in corporate spaces and say oh here you can't do that it's not realistic right yeah. so I mean you have a, a so oh there's so much to talk about so first of all um, I'm working with uh, this wonderful organization Pallium uh, which is a national organization that wants to ensure that every Canadian has access to palliative care now, palliative care is not at end of life. Palliative care is something that is a wonderful thing to bring in when someone has a diagnosis that is life limiting or life altering. It's about right. comfort. And it is it is all our compassionate communities all need to be a part of it because we have complicated, sanitized, medicalized and professionalized everything. Right. Like we think that right? Oh, this is all for healthcare and, and they need to take care of it. And when you're in corporate, you, you check your humanness at the door and that's not realistic. So we're actually working on a compassionate workplace campaign, right? Because we need to teach people how to just show up yeah. for themselves and each other, no matter what our workplace is a part of our, 
must be a part of our compassion community because here's the aha moment and the statistic, people can check it on pallium.ca, 35% of our workforce is also caregiving for someone. Right. 35%. And what a heavy load to bear on top of your and then pretend you're fine. And your and you can't expect people to not show up with other things on their mind. Well, it's it's and and the thing is is that when we can acknowledge and allow people's feelings, what they're going through, it diffuses it so that they can just show up. And if they have a cry, you don't fall apart like, oh my God, Risha's crying. Like this is like, oh Risha here, why don't you take five minutes? Exactly. Right? That like, like just, and that's that heart humor, humanness, bringing in the humanness. Yes. And, and if, and here's the thing again, why would we know how to do this? This has not been the norm. We no. normalized a lot of the wrong things. And so instead of just being frustrated, I say in the past, this is what the expectation was. And now moving forward, we understand that this creates mental, physical, emotional health issues. We can do this differently. And by just showing up for ourselves and each other at work, in our communities, wherever we may be, we can make a difference and, and people can allow their humanness. And so, so in, from all of the incredible humans, and by the way, I'm very, I'm most passionate about supporting the supporters, those who are um, caregiving for our seniors and also our educators, because I have a very, yeah. right, our educators, I mean, they can go through, they, they can be going through a tremendous grief. And I mean, let's just stop, say grief isn't just when someone dies. No, it can grief be experienced anything. in any heartache. Yeah. In any transition, divorce, diagnosis, job loss, mental health issues, children yeah. leaving home, children not leaving home. And you're doing that with a class of 30 at your toes? Like, uh, everyone's and you're showing happen. up for them every day it's it's pretty incredible well it's it's incredible. unrealistic and again as we said like how do you get good practice well we 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 don't, <laughs> we don't. This stuff. so yeah. so with all of this and and in the past many years of speaking to literally thousands of people i am continuously learning unlearning evolving and I wasn't sure I was going to share these, but I'd love to share. So the seven takeaways are what I feel are the essential, like that I created principles so that we can live life to the fullest, learn to grieve and support one another. And yes, have the talk yep. about end of life long before it arrives and diffuse the fear. So do you want me to just share those with you sure. quickly? Yeah, can... that'd be great. And then, you know, because again, it's about creating that foundation, right? Yeah. So obviously the elephant in the room, the hardest, that very bottom concrete foundation, the best time to talk about plan and prepare for grief transitions and, and end of life is when we are young and healthy. Sure. And the next best time is now. Let's normalize these conversations throughout life, at home, at school, in the workplace. Let's stop pretending that you know, I, I, and I still hear kids, oh, don't talk about that. That's, you know, like someone's dying. Don't talk about that. That's awful. And it's like, there's opportunities to talk about children and these poor death phobic adults are terrified because they yeah. don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. So I invite everyone to be compassionate with themselves. Yeah. You don't know how to do this because we haven't done it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so lean into it. Yeah. Lean into it. 
and understand that even in good transitions, like kids going to university, <laughs> yeah, allow your grief, allow your joy and your humanness. There's no reason for you to know how to do this. Yeah. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Right. And then, and takeaway number two is that it takes a village. It takes a village to support those who are ill, caregiving, dying, bereaved, marginalized, and each other. We all need to be a part of that compassionate community. It is not just about the healthcare. Healthcare professionals will be there about 10% of the time. Right. That's another big revelation that, and again, you can see that on Pallium, people believe that in chronic illness or the dying process, the healthcare system is going to magically take care of everyone and that they will be a part right. of the journey. 90% or more will be up to our compassionate community. And yet we live in silos of silence and isolation. Many of us don't even know our neighbors. Right. Yeah. I say to people, start with your neighborhood, create your compassionate neighborhood. Because even if you have friends and family that are compassionate and, and want to be there for you, they have jobs. They may live far away. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right next door. Yep. Absolutely. Right. That is the place to start. I moved, we just moved to this new place two years ago. I went around my neighborhood. I wrote down people's names and it's like, okay, well, we won't be visiting that person. And this person, yes, if I need to go to the hospital, if Jordy does, yep, this person can come over. Yeah. Oh, person, this person over here will, can take care of our dog. Like, yeah, immediately. It's funny. We moved up here for that purpose. We used to live at Young and Eglinton in Toronto. Mm. And we you we knew our direct neighbor and a very good friend lived in the building next to us. But um I was told at a young age, probably 24, 25, that I couldn't have children. Mm. And then at 33, they were like, oh, oops. <laughs> Actually, you wow. can. And I was, I was like, say, but you have children. Oh, okay. Well, that actually changes our plans, I guess. And when we talked about having children in the city, I said, you know, we don't really have the support down here and we don't have community. And frankly, as an only child from a single parent, I saw how important that mm. was. And I saw how you have to build your community and your family. And your, that's so important. And I was like, I don't think we can do that here without the supports in place. So we talked a lot about moving outside the studio and ended up landing just about 90 minutes north in a place that we never dreamed we would ever live, but always wanted to. And it was like, okay, I think this is not only a lovely place to raise children, but this community is so tight knit and everybody's so mm. friendly. And mm. it felt like walking on the set of Gilmore Girls or something. Ooh, and nice. it's just so Amazing. lovely. The people are so nice. Mm. And so it really contributed to us feeling Beautiful. stable enough to have this family. That is so extraordinary. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we all understood that? Yeah. And 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 here you were very intentional. You're like, I don't think I can have this here. I'm going to change because we can. Yeah. And create your community. People say, oh, they're all alone in the world. They don't have children. Say, well, you're they don't have to be your biological, your, no. your community. 
family, friends, neighbors. And I'm sorry, in this world of, of church, you know, there's, there's your church members, there's rotary clubs, there's seniors, people like they reach out. There's so many options. Yeah. There's there's so so many options. Right. And the other thing is, and, and here's that whole, I want to change the paradigm as well. We're, we're also so good at, you know, Oh, I don't want to bother them. Or it's like, you know what? No, you care about someone. So you go and shovel their walkway because they're elderly and they're struggling. You think that's going to be a bother? Oh, I don't have time. Take five minutes. Yeah. Right. Like such little things. And again, to stop being so worried about our time and I can't, I have too much going on. Well, guess what? When you do those things, I tell people I'm a do-gooder. Yeah. And I don't think it's because I'm a nice person. Just make we me call it good. Good mischief in our house. That's what we call it. Yeah. Good mischief. So yeah. I'll take my oldest son out and be like, we're going to go do some good mischief. Oh my God. I love it. And he's like, okay. And we go and do nice things for people or, you know, random acts of kindness or any of that, because if he's going to cause mischief and he will, because that's the kind of guy he is, I'd rather it be good mischief. (laughs) I love that. And, you know, that's just so beautiful. And I love that. I might have to steal it because, (laughs) and again, about like time when I say I'm so frustrated, oh my gosh, I have to go do something nice for someone. Yeah. Right? Get out of my own grief or crankiness. Go do yeah. something nice for someone. Go pay someone a compliment. Yeah. Here's it almost feels selfish like sometimes. Because yeah. I, so I, I feel so good afterwards. Right? I don't know. Well, like I, like I looked at you. And it has to be sincere. So like when we yeah. said hello today, I looked at your hair. I'm like, that looks fabulous. <laughs> and it does. I couldn't say it if I didn't mean it. Yeah, I'm um, the same way. I'm known as the woman on the subway or the street or in the grocery store who's like, that jacket is everything on you. Like, I will just see? randomly compliment people. And they're like, it's oh, beautiful. Thank you. I'm like, why wouldn't you? Well, and you're teaching your children by example, right? And that's the thing. We don't have to like sit there. Well, you know, son or daughter, you need to go out and compliment people. Just teach by example. And I've done that. And now my daughter is wonderful at doing that and so is my son and you know what here's the thing is that and 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 that's you're giving 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 and with no attachment right to their reaction and that's the other piece when I say you know if you're going to do things or like sometimes I wave and smile and the people look the other way or you know they look and give me a look and I just laugh like that I just funny. Laugh about it. or yeah. and some people crack up so it's you know, just give with no attachment to what the, you know, what you're going to receive. And and that leads into takeaway number three. And I always say to people, if you do not remember anything else, I say, when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and you can't fix it. The magic answer is just show up, right? Just show up. I don't know what to say. Just show up anyway. Just say that. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Yeah, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. Just show up, just show up. Lead with your heart. Yeah, okay to get it wrong. It, it, if you say, I don't know if I should call, call. Yeah, leave a message. I don't, I don't know anyone. I've never gotten the feedback that someone's very offended from a text that said thinking of you heart emoji. I don't know anyone who's very upset that someone left them a message and said, "Oh my gosh, I I want to help." Blah, blah. Like. 
Because we, uh, that's the piece that we're missing also is that when we have that armor and we're so afraid to give too much, we're chipping away at our own soul. Yeah. We're chipping away because we are meant, we are hardwired for connection. And, and when we connect with a, another human being, with a compliment, with a hello, here, let me help you. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I don't know what to do when you go to take out their garbage. And like in the TEDx talk I shared on that hardest time when my son was going through so much. And on one day when everything just fell apart, this beautiful neighbor, and I still got the pot from the TEDx talk. She came to my house and she just set a, a little pot of daffodils on my front porch. Yeah, so nice. With a little card that said, thinking of you. I looked at that, I read it, and I cried for an hour. Oh, I'm sure. Guess what? It's 13 years later, and I'm still talking about that. Of course, right? It, these tiny little things, these little gestures we make. And it's funny because it's the same for yourself. So this is where when you talk about just showing up, and when I talk about lead without permission, they start to kind of meld together. Absolutely. Because when we do that for ourselves and we just show up for ourselves and we lead without permission and we take all of that antiquated crap that has been built into our minds as, oh, maybe I shouldn't or I may, I won't say anything or I don't want to bother anyone or uh-uh. No. Well, how does that feel? How does that feel? Yeah, doesn't it feel awful? It feels awful. Thank you so much for joining us for part one of Yvonne Heath's chat. I hope you join us for part two, where you can hear the rest of Yvonne's seven steps and a little bit more about how you can just show up. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit www.yorkmotivational.com for more information on my super type A attempt at being Zen, the coaching program, lead without permission, or visit our contact page to reach out to Risha. Wishing you all continued balance and fulfillment on your road to Zen.